part of the imposter syndrome is in my brain when I'm talking and especially in like what I've convinced myself is a high stakes situation, like being on a podcast, like you're just postulating, you're not even making sense. No one cares what you have to say. Yeah. Right. You're like having imposter syndrome while you're talking about imposter syndrome. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Hey, hi, and hello. Welcome to Creative Forever, the podcast dedicated to keeping you forever inspired, forever motivated, forever creative, and forever you. I am your host, JM, a.k.a. The Voice Inside Your Head, a.k.a. Your Biggest Fan. And together, we're going to get some creative shit or some other shit done. Today, I have a guest, first guest of season two. I'm very excited. I have with us today my friend from college, Elizabeth. Elizabeth and I met in the late 90s, and we have been friends ever since. And I wanted her to come on the show today because we're going to talk about imposter syndrome. And I could not think of a better person to discuss this with because Elizabeth, like me, has led many lives, had many sort of different personalities that she's had to use throughout her life as a creative and as a professional. And uh, I thought we'd have an interesting conversation. So hello, Elizabeth. Hi, hi, hi. Hey, (laughs) hi, hello. (laughs) Yes. Hey, hi, and hello. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so honored to be here. Yes. I'm so, so happy that you're my first season two guest. When you said yes, I was like, can you do it tomorrow? (laughs) (laughs) I'm used to friends asking to like participate in something that they're doing and then they're like, oh, that never happened. Or like, (laughs) we'll pretend like I never asked or whatever. (laughs) I'm like, okay, so can you sign this, this, and this, and I will call you at this time. Yeah, I haven't signed anything, though. Oh, no. Uh, the paperwork's coming. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Along with the check, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I'm, a little, I'm not liquid right now. Uh, so um, we... I just, I'll just, I'll take a donut okay. next time, next time we hang out in person. Done. I can do that. Um, okay. So imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome. Um, I'll just ask a brief first question and then we'll talk about what it actually is. Have you experienced it and have you experienced it a lot or a little? Definitely experienced it. Not sure if it's like, just like a part of my personality at this point. Um, I think the, the way that you like, you framed it in your questions was really interesting to me. It's like you were asking you know, when you, you experienced it, like, when have you, when have you felt like you belong? Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay. Well, if that's the opposite of imposter syndrome, like, when, <laughs> you know, like I can point to the handful of times I felt like I belonged. Right. Like the rest is like, I feel like I might be faking it, you know, even if I know I'm not, or there's evidence to the contrary, mm-hmm. I can never quite convince myself otherwise. Um, So yeah, I think I've experienced it and I experience it a lot and I've learned to like dial it down and not let it be the voice in my head. I'd prefer you to be the voice in my head. Right, right. No, I totally know what you mean. I'd prefer someone else be the voice in my head too. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay. So I love that that's sort of what you thought about it from the questions that I sent. 
that's what I think imposter syndrome is. There are many definitions. I'll make sure that I link some in our show notes so people can look up imposter syndrome. But you can look it up and find information about it, essentially meaning that you feel like an imposter. You don't mm-hmm. belong somewhere. Mm-hmm. You feel like a fraud. You feel like someone's going to find out and that you will then be asked to leave. You will then be fired. You will then be ridiculed, made fun of, um, or not taken seriously. Mm-hmm. It can also mean um, that you suffer from issues with perfection. It can mm-hmm. be that if you don't feel you've done something perfectly, then you don't deserve to be there, or mm-hmm. then you don't deserve any recognition, or mm-hmm. that you've done a terrible job. Some people's imposter syndrome is they see no gray area to performing or to um, having a productive day. And Mm -hmm. when I was reading some of that, I was like, oh, that's interesting because I've definitely felt like a literal imposter um, Mm -hmm. and like a fraud and like someone's going to find out. But I've also had perfection issues where Mm -hmm. I don't think it's good enough and I think I'm not good at what I do essentially that I'm an imposter when the actual truth is it just wasn't perfect. Right. Right. You know, and if it's, if it's not perfect, it may as well not have even happened. Right. May as well not even exist. Right. And if you put it out there, then, then you are going to get that ridicule or that be humiliated or whatever. That's going to reinforce the other mm-hmm. definition of imposter. Right. Syndrome. Yeah. And it would just be cyclical. I mean, as like, mm-hmm. as a writer and I think other people that are writers, it happens to everyone, but for the writer folks, it's particularly bad because what we have been sort of brainwashed to believe is that you are not a writer unless you are published. And Mm -hmm. that means you have to have books. You have to have a, you know, New York times article. Um, you have to have proof, uh, public proof, or you're not a writer. So folks say things like I'm an aspiring writer. No, if you sit down and write every night in your journal or you're working on a novel or you, you know, write BuzzFeed top 10 lists um, for yourself and your friends and send emails (laughs) to your friends, you're a writer. Um, And that is a level of imposter syndrome. I can't call myself a writer until I've done something publicly and gotten it published and been paid for it. Otherwise, I'm just lying. I'm just saying I'm a writer when I'm not. The theme that I'm hearing is this external validation. Mm-hmm. Like unless the New York Times tells me I'm a good writer or unless this publisher agrees to put my work out there, then the, then what I'm doing for myself or for my, you know, community of followers or whatever is is meaningless or not enough. There's a lot of external validation Mm-hmm. in this because like I think I think even like writing a n- newsletter you know like just to your friends on whatever you think or feel or have been you know told that you're an expert on is humongous yeah for, like for sure. a, like that's a lot of work that's a lot of effort it's a lot of it's a lot of time it's a lot of creativity that you're putting out into the world who cares if it's only 50 people like that's great. Okay, so I'm glad that you brought this up because I don't know that if we went and looked at the Wikipedia definition which I just pulled up if it will say anything about others. But mm. I think that that is what it is. What you just said, it's so 
closely attached to what other people might think to like what if you're at work and have it, what your boss might think and how it might lead to you um, not getting uh, good reviews, losing your job, uh, not being seen as an equal amongst the rest of the employees. It is somehow very much about what others think about you Mm -hmm. and um, that external validation. If you're a writer, you want to make sure that people approve of you before you can say you're a writer. And I mean, and part of that is because people are a little bit um, ignorant and cruel when it comes to creative things, right? You say, I'm a writer. And and they say something exactly like this. Oh, yeah? What have you written? <laughs> and it's like, well, I'm working on a book. And you know right. what I mean? But that response yeah. is like, oh, you're a writer. Can I, wh- where is it? Can I right. see it? Yeah. What, yeah. What, Show me proof. Listen. Show me evidence. Right. And you wouldn't do that with a doctor. I'm at a doctor. Show, show me. <laughs> I actually feel like doctors do get that in a different way. Like, oh, really? Because my elbow oh, has been okay. like really yeah. hurting lately. Can you, do you mind? Do you- <laughs> well, but see, they truly believe the doctor, yes. right? Yes. Yes. Right. There's like inherent validation within right. that. I agree with you on the sense of belonging um, being the opposite of imposter syndrome because if you feel safe and you feel like with your people, you are with your people, then you can maybe take more risks, be more daring, um, be more authentic. But also when you feel like you belong, that also validates your experience which makes mm-hmm. you more comfortable being the expert many of us know we are in some areas. Mm-hmm. Do you know what yes. I mean? So yes. you can go to your job, be scared shitless that they're going to fire you because you're not as good as everybody else or you're new or whatever, and then go home, visit your parents, and act like a know-it-all jackass about that job. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yes. Because now you're in a safe environment and all yes. of a sudden it's okay to be the expert that got the job at the fancy place. Right. Don't right. tell me, dad, that I don't know what I'm talking about. I work at such and such and we do this and what you're saying is way off. And then the next week you go back to work and you're just like, uh, uh, they're going to fire me. I don't belong here. But <laughs> your dad is never going to know that. You are an expert right. when you're with him. Right. Um, so like in that way, imposter syndrome is truly psychological, right? Yes. Um, and it just depends on if you feel like you belong somewhere and if you're safe versus feeling unsafe. Yeah, yeah. Psycholo- it feels like psychological and environmental. Well, see, Liz, this is interesting. I didn't want to over-research because I wanted us to just be conversational about it. But I did do a lot of reading and what kept popping up was imposter syndrome versus underrepresented communities. Knowing things and feeling like you are an expert, but those people at that business or whatever situation making you feel like you don't is a hostile environment versus imposter syndrome. And so folks that don't differentiate the two are probably in situations where they're the unrepresented community, you know, the minority, the person of color, the woman or whatever. And they're not only battling imposter syndrome, their own internalizing of, are they an expert? Do they belong where they are? Are they performing well? And 
what these other people have decided they can or cannot do. Right. The psychological and the environmental, Mm -hmm. not just playing off of each other, but like converging. Yeah. I'm not going to get any closer to getting over my imposter syndrome in a hostile environment. You and I met at NYU, which is, Mm -hmm. well, we met at Tisch, which is a very prestigious... (laughs) <laughs> drama school. Mm, art school. Wait, is this is this imposter syndrome having to like to make comment fun of it? on? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I went to not like I went to Tish. Right. Yeah, I fucking like I, fucking I went, went to, to Tish. Mm-hmm. I fucking went to Tish. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know what? I what I have decided. I've gone on a long journey for, with exactly <laughs> that question. So when I got in, I was like, no imposter syndrome, like, boom, bitches, I got into Tish. Like, you did, you did early, early acceptance, early right? Early acceptance. Same here. Got in. Yeah. I felt. Only school I, I applied to. Yeah, exactly. Me too. Same? Yeah. yeah I felt like a goddess. Mm-hmm. I thought I was so badass. No uh-huh. imposter syndrome. I belong. They're just waiting yes. for me. Yes. Then when I got there and actually saw the talent. <laughs> Oh my God! Same. I was same, like, same, 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 same. I was like, I don't belong here. They made a terrible mistake. <laughs> um, but I <laughs> s- used to sing all the time in high school and in the car, mm-hmm. and you know, I was in the choir and all of that stuff. I got to New York City and like went to like the first class. I don't know why anybody had to sing anything, but a couple of these women sang something. I swear to God, my throat shriveled up and died. And <laughs> I, I stopped singing for like eight months at school. Mm. And I was like, I, I can't do it. I won't do it. There is no way anybody's going to hear how bad my mm-hmm. voice is. And I distinctly remember that was how I, uh, how my I don't belong here imposter syndrome played out through just casual singing. I wasn't in anybody's singing program. I, wow. I came to be a director or, or an actor or whatever, but um, that's how it manifested itself. I couldn't just like sing in the shower, sing oh my God. walking around. Um, it took time for me to be like, you You have a voice to hold a tune. You could be yeah. in anybody's choir, anybody's yeah. choir. It's going to be okay. Yeah. Um, but that's how I felt like I didn't belong. Okay, so how did you experience imposter syndrome uh, when you came to NYU? I had, I had a flash of it right before, maybe a year before I got there. Mm-hmm. But my experience going in was very much the same as yours. Early, early admission or early application, didn't apply to any other schools, knew I was going to get in. Mm-hmm. There was a fadedness to it from like 18 to 25 that I was connected to. Like I understood that this was something that was going to happen in my life Mm -hmm. for better or worse. And there was like a sense of peace to that. I cannot find that anywhere. Mm. That intuition, that sort of like knowing, that centered knowing, I got to find that. Please come back. But but that's like very much how I felt going into NYU. In high school, I always felt very much like I belonged on stage with the creative kids, with the theater nerds and freaks, like those were my people. That's where I belonged. But then cut to senior year. I'm in this show. I've already gotten into NYU and I came on like fucking 15 minutes late. I missed my entrance. 
What? Yeah. Not a true 15. I think it was a long time. Right. They were just, they just kept acting without you long time. (laughs) Yeah. And it was great because my entrance line was was legitimately, I can't find my shoes. So I just came on all flustered, like, I can't find my shoes, whatever. But then one of the other actors for like a week after that was like, that is so unprofessional. Who the hell do you think you are? In other classes, like would Mm -hmm. be just like talking about it out loud in front of all these people. And I'd already gotten into NYU at this point. So Mm -hmm. I was a little bit like, you know what? I'm allowed a mistake. Like that was sort of my external posture, which tends to be my external posture to a lot of these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. When in reality, I was like, she's right. Yeah. I am unprofessional. That seed had been kind of planted. Mm -hmm. And then when I got to NYU, I was like, oh, the talent, Mm -hmm. the drive, friendly competition. That was intense. Yeah. Comparing myself to people who were genuinely and legitimately my friends. I was not a content creator. Like I couldn't just start from scratch. Mm-hmm. It's not who I was. And I was surrounded by people who could. Yeah. That's when I really started to not necessarily feel like I didn't belong, but that I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to make it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, like I wasn't going to like go as far as some of these other people. And, and, and those people have gone far. Right. Oh God. You know, some of them have gone super far. It's right. been fantastic watching them. You're like, holy shit. This is going to happen. Yeah. I think one of them might be like an Oscar contender I was gonna this say, year. We got some I'm Oscar so kids. Yeah. Very, very <laughs> exciting. So I knew we were going to kind of have similar right when we got to school imposter syndrome. And a little earlier, I was talking about like when we were making fun of or are we making fun of or are we bragging about or are we like um, doing a weird imposter syndrome thing by saying that we got into Tish? Like what are, what are, what is that actually about? So we both felt like we were badasses. We got in. We got there and felt imposter syndrome. Holy shit. We are not as good. We not, might not belong here. Um, but then after some time – I was like, screw Tish. This is bullshit, right? 100%. Because then you're like, these people are just taking my money. NYU is (laughs) just taking my money. I'm learning things, but I'm also not learning anything. I never got that just like level-headed, oh, wait, any school, if you get in and work hard, can be Mm -hmm. beneficial to you. I just swung the opposite way that was just like, Tish is bullshit, right? (laughs) And- Weirdly, once that happened, I felt whole again, <laughs> right? Because That's now amazing. I'm not worried about impressing anybody. I are, mm-hmm. I now had ideas. I now knew kind of what I wanted to do with my life um, after I left. I was just more grounded in the reality of what Tish was. And then it was just so, so different. But it's sad that I had to swing so far to the other side Um, And become a little resentful in order to like feel like I belonged. That's so strange. And so now, you know, I weirdly will joke with you and can joke with you and feel the emotion of, oh, Tish and ooh Tish and oh, fuck Tish. You know what I mean? Like I'm still paying them. I'm sorry. I'm also still paying them. (laughs) I'm still paying them. Um, So, yeah. So is there a moment for you where – you feel like you snapped out of it? Did anything happen? 
there was definitely a moment that I'm not necessarily proud of um, <laughs> that I can remember where <laughs> one of the voice and speech classes, I think this was probably sophomore year. I, and I think that this happens to me in transitional points in my life. It was sophomore year. I was probably planning on doing my study abroad. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what was going to happen after that. Yeah. I didn't know what studio I would go back to. I didn't know where my home would be. Um, And I think what's so brilliant about Tish and the studios and then in cohorts Mm -hmm. within those studios, like you have a family Mm -hmm. and like that family was going to go away. And then you're kind of like, you either go to another family, you find another home or you find your creative family. Right. My memory of you is that you had a really strong community mm-hmm. the entire time you were there. Like you had a solid friend group, both within the programs and outside of the programs. And like, and I am, I imagine that kept your, your creativity going in some way yeah. or another, kept you connected to like the purpose of you being there in the first place. Right. My experience was so like the moment that I'm not proud of is we were in voice and speech class, probably sophomore year. The exercise was to all go to the wall, of the, the outside walls of the room, mm-hmm. close our eyes and crawl into the center of the room and make a pile, like a human pile based on the color blue. And I was like, <laughs> I refused. Like, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not, not a touchy feely, ooey gooey, like, right. I'm not necessarily opposed to that exercise, but I'm opposed to that exercise when I'm there to get an education mm-hmm. and like someone's paying $40,000 a year for this shit, mm-hmm. you I know, refuse. like privileged white girl asshole. Mm-hmm. And I like, I fully regret that. It's like my mom always drove into my head. You need to get a liberal arts education. I know you want to go to a conservatory. I know you want to do all of these things with your life. Mm-hmm but you need to get at least a liberal arts education with your fine arts education. Right. And so I think that was in the back of my head where I'm like rolling around the floor on the color blue. I don't quite know where this has its merits. So that happened. I went to Florence, 9-11 had happened Mm. and everything was different. Yeah. And I came back and I tried, I tried, I tried, I tried to get into the environmental theater wing because I thought like, oh, that's where all the like super creative hippie people are. And mm-hmm. that's what I, who I think I am. They wouldn't let me in. I felt like I didn't belong. I wasn't fucking cool enough. Right. You're not ETW material. I, yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Sort of what we started talking about. Imposter syndrome versus a hostile environment and how that feeds imposter syndrome. Right. And for you in this set situation, you, I guess, your pendulum swung when you were like, screw these guys that aren't letting me in. I don't want to be in your right. stupid program anyway. Right. Um, but it's coming from you trying to belong. Yes. And them saying you don't. The gatekeepers are not yeah. allowing it. Yeah. Which is like, I think at the end of the day, a little bit of a blessing. Mm-hmm. Do you do this like where you're like, well, if I had become a famous actor or director, like if I were a working actor and, or director and I wasn't living the life that I'm living now, do you ever do that? What if? Not about work. I do that about my personal life. I haven't understanding and a instinct about my career that truly nothing really gets in my 
way or in my head about my career. I could stress out about releasing a podcast and be really stressed out about it. But if Mm -hmm. you ask me, am I going to accomplish like the goals of my next five years? There's no hesitation. Yeah, of course I am. Do you know what I mean? So I don't have any like look back grass is greener about professional stuff, personal Mm. stuff. Sure. Sure. If if this had happened, these things would be different. What if blah, blah, blah. But the professional stuff, I don't know why, but I'm just so like grounded in purpose and grounded in knowing that what I'm supposed to be doing is happening and continues to happen. Yeah. I think when I was 17 or whatever, I was devastated that I wasn't a great actor. You do have to go to the wall, slide down it and then crawl to the middle and, and do something based on the color blue. And I felt exactly like you, like, what is this? This is white nonsense. This is white $40,000 a year nonsense. We once in the design class, and this could be urban legend at this point, but I swear I remember that you remember when you have to bring in a design and then yes. everybody has to tell you how it makes you feel or whatever. Yes. Um, I shit you not. I think, I think this is how messed up it is in my mind. One of the presentations that the whole group sat there and talked about it for 10 minutes. And then yeah. the teacher was then like, whose is this? And it was nobody's because it was trash. <laughs> I, I think these little things, like you said, the crawling on the floor and to the color blue, my experience or remembrance of somebody else's experience of the trash and that and that class in general. I remember what I brought in for that, yes. that yes. thing. And it's been 20 years. I remember right. what I brought into that room to I see how other people feel. What? Oh, yes. I saw the sketchbook too. Yes. Um, but uh, that was chipping away at, mm-hmm. I do belong here. Or none of us belong here. And that's where I learned, like, it's not Tish. It's not these actors. Right. It's it's uh, if I want to survive this, this is about who you know. And like you sort of said earlier, I had a great group of friends. So even mm-hmm. when, like, the classes and the teachers were really off to me, the community of friends was there. So mm-hmm. I, what I learned in college was it's who you know. It's mm-hmm. all about the big C collaboration, who you're mm-hmm. going to work with, building those bonds, those relationships, those friendships, those work relationships, um, and about the hustle and that it's all a business. It's all for show. At some point, it's for show. You can mm-hmm. go home and do whatever you want to get the work um, to the quality that you want. But once you step out that door and go to whatever business or whatever that you're selling it, whatever theater you're performing it at, it's all a show. And Mm -hmm. if you can, so many people at that school were successful because they understood that from the beginning and they knew the difference between I'm a genius creating at home and I'm performing for these people, whether they were writing, directing, or presenting something ridiculous in class, they knew it was all part of the game. Right. I was a purist and so naive and didn't understand, like, even every time you show up in this room, it's part of the game. Every single time, even as an 18-year-old, 19-year-old student that's going to do a monologue, it's part of the game. Yes. And so by the time I graduated, I understood that. And I think that's why I was able to go straight to Los Angeles. I mean, I had been graduated for 
you were the first one out here. Yeah, I was I was one of the first. Yeah. yeah. And and come out and be like, sure, I'm I need to make money. I work at IKEA and Virgin Megastore, but was l- truly working at a studio in less than a year and just yeah. kept working at studio cuz I was like I understand the game. It's a game and right. it's for show and I can uh show the people what they want to see and this I mean is a long way of me saying I had no imposter syndrome short of um a few times when I was a producer's assistant when I truly didn't know what I was doing and I was mm-hmm. on set and I was like I'm going to screw up the show because I don't know how this works yet. But um, most. <laughs> but you of, didn't. But I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. No. Ask lots of questions. That's all you have to do. Um, right. Are you sure you want me to go over there with this? Are you sure? Walk over there and give it to them. Okay. Okay. I'll go. Okay. Um, but uh, I never, once I left college and showed up in L.A., for all of those Hollywood and studio jobs that I had and worked at all the places, never did I feel imposter syndrome. Cause I was like, I now know how this works. Right. I get it. I know how it oh, works. So you like saw the game for what it was. Yes. I got played yeah. in, in college. Yes. Aha. I get it. I'm going to go to LA and I now know how to do this. Like, I remember going to an audition it was for um the ipod and i don't know if i knew it at the time like i think it was like the first edition of ipod and you know how they had those silhouette sort of like dancer billboard ads yeah yeah and they were like dressed new york street so i wore like my adidas boxing shoes and like maybe some cargo pants or something you know like kind of androgynous like i was just kicking around new york city there were girls it's like leather jackets yeah (laughs) (laughs) like sexy new york and then and that's when i sort of realized like i don't know what the fuck i do like i literally like i can't even be an imposter because i literally don't even know what i'm doing and then transitioning into these other jobs i think the beauty of the tish education is you can kind of literally do anything Mm -hmm. right there's a certain kind of confidence there's a certain sort of broadly applied skill set you know and that hustle mentality of you know if you're a competent person you can do it but like anywhere I put myself, I never quite feel like I belong. Mm-hmm. But also maybe those of us who experience imposter syndrome, are we more comfortable as outsiders? Mm. I mean, I would say that there is a lot for some, there's probably a level of more productivity when they feel that, right? That's mm-hmm. the, the trigger or the impulse to get them to keep working and working super hard because, you know, they can be replaced at any time. Some people Mm -hmm. perform only when they feel that way. Sure. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I guess the answer is yes, that imposter syndrome might fuel some folks, but I want to, for myself to, and I think it's happening just to get closer to what you talked about the very beginning feeling safe, feeling Mm -hmm. comfortable, feeling that I'm valid. Mm -hmm. And then no matter what room or environment or experience I'm having, even if it's hostile, my self-worth is there. My understanding of expertise is there. So then I can be in a welcoming environment and feel like I'm contributing and belong. And I can be in a hostile environment and know that despite what's going on, 
I belong. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that I'm I'm worthy. I work in nonprofits and there's a lot of predicting things. You're writing grants for to fund your work. And so you have to predict what your work is going to look like in a year and a half when you get that grant and can start doing the work. Or you have to like predict how much money this program will potentially earn mm-hmm. in order to justify, you know, expenses for an entire year. So you're, you're projecting your budget for a year in advance. And so there's a lot of typical to my work environment. There's a lot of, okay, well, tell me why would you know that to be true, right. which I find not just challenging. A, it's impossible. Like no one fucking knows. Mm-hmm. This is a terrible way to run an organization and that's nonprofits in general. Like we got to find a better way to administer like this incredible mission driven work that folks are doing and not put people in this position. But it also triggers this kind of lifelong thing that I've had where like, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're talking about. You're an optimist and not a realist. And Mm. therefore I can tear down everything that you're thinking because you're not thinking in the real world like I am. And like, whose world is real. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're like, I'm just writing a proposal to get right? funding for the children. <laughs> right. Who am I? I'm a sad person because you're attacking me when I'm trying to save the children. <laughs> save the children, man. Save the children, man. I said save the children because I just thought of a nonprofit idea. I know you don't work in saving the children, but you would if you could. You just do a different kind of nonprofiting. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But let it be known, I am on the side of saving the children. Yes, right. I'm sorry. The way I said it made it sound like you don't care about the children. We'll cut all of this out. I believe the children. (laughs) Sing it. Teach them well and let them lead the way. To make make it easier. easier. I feel like Houston's people will come for us because so many people listen to this podcast. <laughs> so many people. Uh, you know what I'm going to do, though? I think I'm going to leave it in and then I'll make it a clean cut. So if we get threatened, I can just pull it down, take that nice. out and put it back. Nice. Ah! No, it was a parody. We weird out Yankovic'd that shit. So yes. we're fine. <laughs> I believe the mermen are our future. Yes. Teach them well and let them swim the way. And we can sing it like Ethel Merman. I believe that children are our future. <laughs> Teach them well and let them lead the way. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much. Thank you so much for doing this with me. Did you have fun? I had a lot of fun. Yay. I I loved the conversation and like, and felt like I belonged. Like I felt <laughs> safe. Good. <laughs> I love um, it. Which I don't normally feel going into like spaces where I'm being recorded in any way, shape or form. So um, <laughs> thank you for creating a safe space and for, I feel so honored to just be part of this podcast that I'm obviously a big fan of and, um, and yeah, thank awesome. you. No, thank you. All right, that is going to do it for us today. Thank you for listening to this very casual conversation about imposter syndrome and what it means to us and sort of the um, 
other things imposter syndrome, you know, led us to talking about revolved around belonging in uh, your creative spaces and outside of them. Thanks again, Elizabeth. You are fantastic. You can find us on Instagram or Twitter at Creative Forever. That's Creative, the number four, E-Z-R. If you like what you're hearing and you want to support the show, please check the link in the show notes. I'd love it if you buy me a couple of donuts. Don't forget to be creative this week, even if you just think about it. Later.